What would it look like to claim your space as a leader and make a positive impact in your organization or community? Get ready to lead courageously and authentically from the core of who you are. Your leadership coach, Dr. Kristen Albert, will help you recognize how you are uniquely gifted to lead in your spheres of influence and help you become equipped and confident to handle the challenges of leadership. Take your leadership to the next level and create your turning points in leadership. Let's get started. Here's Chris. And welcome to Turning Points in Leadership. My name is Dr. Chris Albert, and I'm the host of this Turning Points in Leadership podcast, and I'm really thrilled uh, that you've joined us today. In this Turning Points Leadership podcast, my goal is for my listeners to get to hear from extraordinary leaders who are leading in their spheres of influence, who don't necessarily need to have a title of privilege or a, a, a title or a position of privilege to be able to to lead. And so I look forward to uh, you getting to know my guests today. Uh, my guests are leading in bold and inspiring ways. And I trust that as you listen, you, you too are going to be inspired uh, by my guests. And so I would like to introduce to you and welcome my guest, Jeff Davis. Hello, Jeff. How's your spirit today? It's great, Chris. Thanks for having me. I love your big smile. <laughs> That's great. Podcast listeners who are listening, you don't see uh, Jeff's big, big smile, but it's like ear to ear. It's so cool. So let me tell you all a little bit about Jeff. Um, Jeff is the president of his own coaching firm, Conversations. And Jeff uses his unique gifts and broad array of experiences to help others discover, uncover, and more fully realize the infinite possibilities, incredible fullness, and often overlooked richness in their own lives. As an executive and leadership development coach for over 25 years, Jeff serves regional, national, and international businesses, nonprofits, academic leaders, and coaches through coaching relationships. He's committed to lifelong learning and believes that the coach is never done growing. In addition to his coaching practice, Jeff also realizes his purpose through an active ministry in his church, participation and leadership in local musical organizations. He's a lifelong tuba player, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, and service to local nonprofits. Jeff and I have known each other for, Jeff, can you believe it, 43 years, first as musicians playing together in his brass quintet, and in these past years as my coach my mentor, and my dear friend. And so I'm excited to be in this seat to ask questions of Jeff today. He is just exceedingly generous in his gifts, with his gifts and his wisdom. And I'm excited to learn how his life experiences informed who, who he is and how he leads. Um, and as I said, I hope that, that you as my audience will be also be inspired so that you will become a catalyst for change in your spheres of influence. So, Jeff, thanks again for being a guest on my podcast today. Well, thanks again for having me. It's uh, it's a privilege. It's uh, going to be fun to do this today. It definitely will. Shall we tell them any more about our, our musical connections? You want to tell them how we first got connected? Well, um, I was a teacher at Hempfield High School, and Chris was a student, and I wanted to play quintet music again. 
I hadn't played quintet music for quite some time. And being a tuba player, uh, you think that you have the most unique instrument, but the horn, the French horn, is the instrument that is often the most difficult to find. So I had two trumpets, I had a trombone, I was looking for a horn player and Chris was the one who I contacted and asked if she'd wanted to play and and we 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 formed the Sounds of Brass, which was a quintet that ran for about 30 years before we uh, we disbanded it. Um, and my my fondest memory is when we came in second place in the uh, the Ragtime Festival. Uh, we came in second place and won uh, I think some. Uh, some uh, savings bonds. Yes, $25 savings bonds. $25 savings bonds. And uh, we came in second place, but that was because there were only two groups in the, in the contest. <laughs> and we lost to a piano player who played ragtime. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, too funny. And, and Jeff, you and I spent many hours commuting to Bainbridge band rehearsals and just all kinds of stuff. But yeah, your invitation to to play in your quintet. I was 17 years old, right? And you were a teacher at, at Hemfield and I mean, to just be invited to play with your quintet was just such an honor. So that was neat. So a little, as a little bit uh, of insight into both of us that I don't think our listeners knew, uh, which is a lot of fun. Well, should we hop into some of the questions uh, yes. for our interview today? Excellent, excellent. So. I'm really curious to know what are some of your early experiences of leadership? These could be um, times that you remember where you stepped into leadership, or it could be times where you're, you were observing someone else in leadership and maybe scratching your head or maybe looking wide-eyed and saying, that's what I want to do. I mean, it could be anything, but I'd like you to share with the, with the audience um, your experiences of, of leadership from an, your earliest experiences from an early age? Well, as a kid, I remember that uh, the thing that I thought about when I thought about leaders was, first of all, they were old guys. They were all guys. They were all men. And that they had all the answers. Uh, they knew everything. And uh, they, I would be in awe of these guys whenever we traveled around the city. My dad was a... a, a director of purchasing for New Holland Machine Company. And he uh, he was a leader, but I never really thought of him as a leader. And I really didn't get too much involved in leadership until high school when, uh, when I was sent by McCaskey High School. They sent me to be the representative to the Rotary Leaders Camp, wow. which was a camp that was held uh, at one of the local camps for a week where you went to learn about leadership. You were picked up by one of the Rotary Club members. For me, it was Mr. Andy Rote who picked me up. He was the head of Rote Steel. Picked me up in his Cadillac, I remember that, and drove me to the camp and picked me up at the end of the week and brought me home. And I don't remember much about the camp, but I do remember the, the Cadillac. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the leadership uh, that I... Uh, first exhibited and, and was involved in was as the uh, president of something called Hangout Council. The YWCA used to have dances every every Saturday night, and I was a DJ for the dances for two of the three years that I was in high school. And that meant every Saturday night I was down spinning records in the 
record booth and, and booking the groups that came in. But I was also president of the council of, of teenagers from across the county who was uh, tasked with uh, putting on the dances, advertising them, and getting the chaperones that we needed. So that was my earliest uh, memories of leadership. And uh, and then and then I I evolved in leaders leadership positions. I I started my career as a teacher at Hempfield, and uh, after about 10 years, um, the, the department chairman was going to retire. And uh, several of the teachers approached me and said, well, you have to apply for this job. So I said, well, I don't really want the job. I just want to teach. Well, but you have to. So yeah. being a complier that I was uh, in part of my life, I decided that I would go and get my degree in uh, supervision from Millersville. and. Uh, qualify myself for the position of, of uh, department chairman, and I got the job. And I, I thought it was up to me to get everything done. Uh, then I went to work at ISC, which was a local company and an international company. And within six months, I found myself leading a, a new company that we founded, an educational technology company. And what I think about when I look back on those days is uh, how little I knew about leadership. But uh, but yeah, that that's a, a long answer to your question. I hope it's okay. Absolutely. You know, I think it's so interesting just that just the beginning of the, your story with Rotary and them selecting you for this leadership camp. I mean, that somebody saw in you this these leadership potential or leadership qualities and inviting you into that space and uh and just that being kind of a a, a starting point a catalyst did you think of yeah. yourself as a leader at that no. at that time no 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 i just thought of myself as a guy you know i was yeah. i was i was the guy who was just trying to get through school and navigate life trying to figure out life at that mm. point isn't that the truth yeah yeah, yeah. And then the point that you, you know, the point that you made about looking back and realizing how little you knew about leadership, I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we go along. But um, that I, that is, I think, one of the, the most profound things that I've learned from your influence and um, is that, that leadership is a very intentional um and specific specific and intentional um process and that it's not just looking back and saying boy i didn't know anything about leadership but now that you know what you know <laughs> you realize you didn't well, know the thing that i've seen most often is i think that um people look at leadership and they look at it through the lens of their technical expertise so they think that by uh, by honing their technical expertise, they'll become leaders automatically. Yes. When in fact, leadership is a, a whole different uh, uh, area of study. I, I, I tell many of the people I've coached over the years that your new profession is now leadership. It's no longer engineering or accounting or, or uh, even science. It's, it's leadership. And leadership is a, is a, is a, a field that needs to be studied and, and understood. 
uh, from from several different levels. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about later too. Yeah, I love how you've articulated it that way. That your career is actually leadership. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's really profound. Yeah, we will definitely dive into that. So I'm curious. Um, you've alluded to some of this, but in what ways did your family, your cultural influences, or your community shape the way you view leadership? Well, I think, you know, I, I grew up in a, a, a row house in Lancaster, and uh, we were the kids that went to Wharton Elementary School. That's that's a fun thing. Yeah, I can fun. tell people I have a, I, I have a, a degree from Wharton. But we were the kids who were the have-nots, uh, as opposed to the kids that lived on the other side of F&M College, who were the haves. These were kids who every, uh, every uh, week would get out of school in the afternoon to go to the cotillion club and learn how to dance and wow. how to use their manners and things like that. Whereas we stayed back and did extra homework. Uh, and many of our elementary teachers told us that we weren't going to amount to much. Uh, and uh, my, my friend, who was probably one of the most successful engineering uh, companies in, in, uh, in the area that he founded years ago, uh, told me recently he still thinks of himself not good enough. And I still have some of those feelings. I still find myself at different places. Like if I go to the country club for uh, an event, I'll say to myself, I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. Well, that influenced my whole view of leadership, that leaders were the people who were the in, select, chosen. Mm -hmm. They were the ones who knew everything. And, and I was just a follower who was supposed to do what I was supposed to do. That was a big influence on me till I, I realized that uh, I had uh, more to offer than that. Yeah. Um, and as you as you talk about that, I think about one of the things that I believe is that from the time we step foot out of bed in the morning, every single one of us is leading in some way, positive or negatively. Um, we're leading ourselves. We're leading our families. We might step into leadership in the community, at our work, no matter what that work is. Every interaction with someone else ha has leadership um, embedded in it. And well, Ken, Ken Wilber wrote a book uh, called Situational Leadership. Hmm. Where he made the distinction between positional leadership and, uh, and situational leadership. And he says, every situation, leadership emerges. And, and I've seen that throughout my life, that there are times where the positional leaders are not leading. It's the people who know the most and who are, who are the most qualified to, uh, to lead the situation. So, so I think that's, that's an important concept that you're talking about. Uh, it's, it's the fact that everybody uh, has an area in which they lead, whether it's in their families or their churches or their communities or their neighborhoods or their schools or their work. Absolutely. And as a and as a child, so you know, as one of the kids on the other side of town that didn't go to the Cotillion Club, that stayed back and did homework, and that saw yourself as the have-not, um, that was really um, this was really a shift for you to to see yourself as a leader when, in those growing up years, 
you, you know, you didn't feel that way from I, your experience. I think that that actually helped me because I believe it, it uh, instilled in me the, the desire to want to prove people were wrong. Mm, yes. I've done my entire life. Uh, interesting. From, uh, from, uh, from uh, my my dad left us when we were uh, when I was a senior in high school, and uh, I didn't go to the school I thought I would go to, so I went to Millersville and I worked full time, and uh, went to school full time and graduated in four years, because I had a, a desire to become a teacher. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Mm. I knew that's what I was called to do, and nothing was going to stand in my way. Uh, that was that was good, but it was also bad because it also uh, nurtured in me the type A workaholic, get things done guy that I became. Uh, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So those those characteristics that serve you can also become characteristics that your shadow. Are, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as you look around um, our society, um, with people you work with, live with, interact with, um, or who, you know, your community, however you you define the people around you. What do you want them to know or invite them to think about when it comes to leadership? What would you like to invite people, to, you know, our listeners? What would you like to invite them to listen, to explore or think about when it comes to leadership? One of the things that I think is probably the most essential is to understand the inner game of leadership. So there, there are three levels of competence that uh, are, are defining uh, for leaders. Uh, there's leadership process, leadership competence, and leadership consciousness. Mm -hmm. Leadership process includes things like budgeting, mm -hmm. strategic planning, uh, project management. There are processes that leaders need to be familiar with. Those processes can only be as effective as they are uh, informed by the leadership competencies that exist. Um, there are people at the Ivy School of Business in Canada who have uh, done some work on enterprise leadership, and they define these five different areas of competence. You need to have people skills. You need to have business skills, organizational skills, uh, strategic skills, and general intelligence in order to be able to use those processes in ways that make sense. That's, that comprises what's called the outer game of leadership. The inner game is the, the, the leadership consciousness, uh, which drives the outer game. The, the inner game is the... the uh, the stage of development that you're you're operating at, which of course, if we if we had uh, more time, we probably could go into that more in depth. But there are different stages of development, and one of the things that I've worked on the last several years is to study the work of Bob Anderson and Bill Adams, who have been influential in my my thinking and my life. Um, and they they both have. Uh, I've written a book called Mastering Leadership, and in it they define these stages of development, that there are five stages, starting with the egocentric stage, which is the, um, the stage of development that uh, babies have when they're born. They, they, are, they are 
self-centered. They make up the rules for their lives. Nobody tells them what to do. They do what they want. And 5% of all leaders are still stuck there, according to Bob Anderson and Bill Adams. Then there's the reactive stage, or what Robert Keegan calls uh, the socialized mind. This is the mind that's defined by the, uh, the script that they run in their heads that says, uh, it's up to me to do, do things, to get things done, but I have to get it done by doing and being what other people think I should be, even if they never tell me what that is. Bob Anderson's research shows there are 70% of all leaders who are stuck in that mode. So 75% of all leaders are either egocentric or reactive. Then there's the creative stage of development. The creative stage is the stage that uh, um, you begin to self-author. You begin to realize you don't have to follow all these scripts that you were taught as an adolescent to, to get through and be admitted into adulthood. Um, and about 20% of all leaders are there. And then the last two are called the integral and the unitive stages. The integral stage is where you recognize that you can't get it all done yourself. You need to work with other people. The unitive stage is where you understand your life is in, in service of a larger purpose. Mm -hmm. And Bob Anderson says that can only be achieved through longtime spiritual practices. So to me, the most important thing to realize as a leader is is that the inner game runs the outer game and if 75 percent of the leaders are egocentric or, or reactive they're unaware of their unawareness they're not even aware that they they are uh, they have an issue yes and and the, the big takeaway for me from all that research is that 95 percent of all leaders are unequipped to deal with VUCA today, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. A term that's been replaced recently by uh, some research that uh, talks about B-A-N-I, Bonnie. They say that VUCA, volatility, has been replaced by brittleness, uncertainty replaced by anxiety, complexity replaced by nonlinear thinking, and ambiguity replaced by things that are incomprehensible. Mm. So for me, the future, and, and this describes the next generation of business and, and organizational leadership, which we see in schools, which we see in businesses, which we see everywhere. Uh, and uh, to me, it's one of the things that is, is most important as we, as we consider what's going on today. Mm-hmm. And that invitation for people to to take a look at what work have have folks done on their inner game? Yeah. And the guess, what's your guess? What percentage of people have actually who are out there in the working world and who are leading? Have I don't actually, think I don't yeah. think it's more than twenty percent uh, because yeah. because I think of myself so. Up till I was 48 years old, I was a type A workaholic, get things done guy. That was me. I was a controller. I was a perfectionist. I was ambitious. I was driven. I was autocratic. I was all the things that I look back on and say, what the heck was I doing? But I mean, that's the natural progression of development. Sure. Um, as I look back on myself, I say to myself, what was the single greatest thing that helped me change? And it was having a coach. My coach. Right. 
my first coach, Melissa McNair, was one of the best coaches in, in the country at the time that my boss sent me to be coached. And uh, she was the one that opened my eyes to, to the fact that I could live differently. I had developed this, this workaholism as a, a student going to college and, and uh, being an English teacher where I would spend 40 hours a week just grading essays. Uh, and she asked me the question that probably was the pivotal question in my life. She said, so how do you want to spend the last half of your life? And I was like, what are you talking about? She said, do the math. You're, you're past the halfway point. How do you want to spend it? And then she asked me the second question, which was, what are you doing with your, your, how are you creating and sustaining your energy? I said, what are you talking about? She said, physical, relational, intellectual, and spiritual. Well, I did a little survey and I found out that I wasn't paying attention to any of those. Hmm. And, and I was run down because I was still running the old uh, script that said, I got to get things done. I don't have time for this stuff. I mean, one of the things in, in, in my youth that I remember the adult saying was, you have plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. Oh, my word. So they were driving you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Messages are powerful. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, I think that invitation, to, and I can say the same for myself that lack of awareness, that awareness came when I started working with you as my coach. Um, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And, and when you when you begin working with a coach who's asking you some pretty profound questions that help you shift how you're seeing, um, that that is life-changing. And you and I are both examples of that, sounds right. like. Yeah. You know? yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. So each month, um, we explore a theme around leadership in the Turning Points Leadership Community. And in December, um, we have been exploring distinctions between learning and knowing. And as ontological coaches, you and I are, are both attuned to the distinction um, and especially aware of how it impacts our, our clients' abilities to grow as leaders. So I'd like to hear from you, what is the distinction you make between learning and knowing and why is this such a critical distinction? Peter Drucker says that uh, that which must be learned cannot be taught. Hmm. <laughs> and it's one of the most profound readings that I think I, I ever come across. Peter Drucker was one of my early influences in my leadership. And, uh, I, I just appreciated how he wrote it so much. But that that single thought um, is is a, a a guiding principle for me. And so, um, how do we know what what kinds of things do we know? Uh, do we know uh, facts? Do we do we know somatically what's going on? Do do we know what our bodies are telling us? We know what our emotions are telling us. That to me is the biggest mystery that most people have. You know, our our BEL model, our body emotions and language are how we see the world. And it's a coherence of those three things. 
the, the body has messages that it's constantly sending us that we're, we don't pay attention to. The, uh, the emotions that we experience all have rich information that are, are so valuable for us that we don't pay attention to because we don't know about it. Probably um, the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, challenge is the fact that we walk around in this culture thinking that everything above our neck is what, what we know, that it's all in our heads. When in fact, uh, it's it's more than that. Think about the fact that the Greeks believed that there was knowledge in, uh, in, in the heart, that the heart was the center of all knowledge, that there was knowledge in the mind, that there was knowledge in the body and the knowledge in the spirit, hmm. that there were four areas of knowledge and that those four areas of knowledge coher coherently were how we knew things. Uh, Say Peter Drucker's quote again. That which must be learned cannot be taught. Mm. I think I think of that with my my mother. My mother used to tell me, "You don't know what it's like to be a, a parent." Mm. Before I had kids, and I said, "Mom, I teach hundreds of kids every year. I know what kids are like. I know. I didn't know till I had my first son and my mm. second, son. and then I knew what it meant to be a parent." Right. Right. You differently. Yeah. Julio Olaya, who is the master coach that both both you and I uh, had the privilege of of learning under, uh, learning from, um, has a a great great book. I think you recently downloaded it, um, and I can't come up with the title at the moment. From knowledge to wisdom. Yes. Yes. From knowledge to wisdom highly recommend it's a deep read it's a it's a dense read but it is uh it's all about these distinctions of um what was his his quote was knowledge is a love affair with answers wisdom is a love affair with questions in, in the one class that i took from him he said uh, the quest for certainty clouds the quest for meaning Oh, yes. Another good one. Yeah. Yep. Yes. The quest for certainty clouds the quest for for meaning. Hmm. Fabulous. Well, thank you for exploring that with me. Sure. Um, so you are a deeply principled man. I know the that you are supremely grounded in in your values and your principles and i would like to know is there one guiding principle that or value that infuses informs your work and is infused in everything you believe and how you approach leadership my faith mm. my faith is uh is uh grounded in the teachings of Jesus Christ. And I believe that his, his uh, overriding value was agape love. Mm -hmm. That, that uh, we're, we're to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And as to, for God so loved the world, the world, he loved everyone. So for me, 
I try to take that agape love into everything I do. I love my clients. Mm -hmm. I love my colleagues. And I, I hope that that love is the love that God gives to me that allows it flows through me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And is it, oh, I'm trying to think, oh, Shirzad Shamin in his uh, work, Positive Intelligence, he talks about the opposite of love is fear. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, fear is uh, is a part of the reactive mind. It's it's the driving force. It, it it's built to contain anxiety, and so I think we see that uh, in the world today. Uh, the the Greek word "world" has a meaning that says it's a system opposed to God. So if God is love, then the world has as its as its uh, main focus fear and anxiety mm. all you have to do is look look at the world today look at what people are, are tied up with uh, and it's uh it's 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 fear false evidence appearing real fear yeah. yes and while people could easily toss off the 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 concept of love being soft or frivolous when you get right down to it, everything that is good stems from love. Things that are that are harmful stem from fear. Yeah, yeah, love and and you you have um, and and for you, Jesus is that love in human form, that example of love. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Sure. Really appreciate that. So, what is your favorite leadership quote? Tell us about it. Well, you know that I have I have several oh. quotes. I have yeah. hundreds. Feel free to share more than one, Jeff. <laughs> so, so, my first quote I have comes from Frances Hesselbein. Frances Hesselbein was the woman who ran the Drucker Institute for years. And uh, in the 1990s, I had the opportunity of meeting her at the Army War College at a dinner. And uh, she said at that dinner, she said that uh, leadership is still a matter of how to be, not how to do. Mm. I love that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I follow that up closely with a, a, a quote from uh, Warren Bennis, who has written broadly and widely on leadership. Becoming a leader is synonymous with becoming yourself. It is precisely that simple and it is also that difficult. Hmm. So that, that tracks with my belief that we need to continually be working on ourselves to become better leaders. I worked with a coach for 18 years before he passed away. And now I've tried to find another person. I work, I'm constantly trying to improve myself my my abilities. Margaret Wheatley, who's a reader who I've read broadly, says, in organizations, real power and energy is generated through relationships. The patterns of relationships and the capacities to form them are more important than tasks, functions, roles, and positions. I think that that yes. speaks to the, the focus of leadership is on people. Yes. It always uh, amuses me when I hear 
my emerging leaders say, you know, all I have to do is spend time with people. That's all I'm doing lately. And I said, well, that's that's what leadership is. That's how you get things done through other people. Yes. Um, then I have a, a quote from Kierkegaard that I really like. If I were to wish for anything, I should not wish for wealth and power, but for the passionate sense of potential, for the eye which every young and ardent sees the possible. Mm. To me, that's that's leadership. Looking for possibilities, not yes. being stuck in fear and anxiety. Yes. And the last one that I have that I'd like to share with you this morning is um, one that I came across recently from Eric Hoffer. In times of change, learners inherit the earth, while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Yes. To me, yes. That, that, that speaks volumes to the, uh, the challenges that leaders have today. Yes. And the challenge of leadership to me is not necessarily the external forces that are on us, but it's what can we do to grow ourselves internally? And, and drive that inner game so that we're better equipped to play the, uh, the outer game. And we can connect that quote too back to our conversation about learning versus knowing. The learned are the knowers, the ones who believe they know, and the learners. Could you read the quote one more time? Sure. Hoffers? In times of change, learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Yes. And you see, I think too many, too many leaders today coming out of the, the recent pandemic are looking for the old ways. Mm -hmm. Let's go. When are, when are we going to get back to the way things were? <laughs> well, that, that's, that's a reactive mind uh, reaction. Yes. The, the thing that I think has to happen is we have to be able to, define what we want the new reality to be like we want to create the vision but when when you're when you're a reactive leader or an egocentric leader you are incapable of creating a compelling vision the vision is what really is the the, the top two uh competencies to correlate to effective leadership according to anderson and adams are being purposeful and visionary Defining a purpose and a vision that's so powerful that people sign up for it and are excited by it. And the second is fostering team play, building a team of people to go out and achieve that purpose and vision. Mm. You know, um, Marcus Buckingham in his latest book, Love Plus Work, says 84% of the global workforce is not engaged in their work. 84%. And 86% don't trust their senior leaders and team leaders. Mm. If that's the case, then, then we, have, we have work to do on leadership. And leadership has never been more vital than at, at this time in history. It's one of the most important things that we can look at today. Wow. That is incredible. I need to check that book out. I have not read that one yet. And, and there's, there's, there's one other quote I'd like to leave you with. It's a Drucker quote. Drucker wrote in, in his book, The New Realities. Now, this was 1989 that he wrote this book. He said, in a few hundred years, when the history of our time will be written from a long-term perspective, it is likely that the most important event historians will see is not technology, not the internet, 
not e-commerce. It is the unprecedented change in the human condition. For the first time, literally, substantial and rapidly growing numbers of people have choices. For the first time, they will have to manage themselves, and society is totally unprepared for it. Hmm. And I would add, so are the leaders who are leading. Yes. Oh, that on one hand, if you look at that through the lens of fear, that could be very scary. But on the other hand, if you look at, at it through, it's an invitation. It's an opportunity for leaders to step into. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned your your coach, Curtis Watkins, and um, you haven't shared any of his quotes, but I know some of the the quotes, some of the things that you've shared with me that he uh, that he shared with you. Um, would you like to say anything about about Curtis and Curtis? Curtis Watkins was the most profound influence on my work. Uh, I met him in two thousand four as a um, he was my mentor coach through Newfield as I was going through that. And after six sessions, I said, would you continue to work with me? He said, it would be a privilege. And I was like, privilege? Wow. So um, so we worked together, and uh, he, he single-handedly helped me really change my life and up, upgrade my coaching to a whole other level. Mm. Some of my favorite quotes from Curtis are, every time you say yes to something, you say no to something else. Yes. Um, and Curtis's work on somatics and the um, and the emotional realms are are things that open new vistas to me. Uh, mm. Curtis, Curtis was my age. We were colleagues. We were friends. And uh, I remember the day that I called him on February first of twenty twenty two. I called him for our our. I met with him every two weeks for eighteen years. Mm. Um, I called and his wife answered and she said that uh, Curtis had died the night before and mm. I was in shock. Uh, mm. And so uh, I was very glad that Curtis had a chance to speak at my conference that I had in 2019. And if you go to my extraordinaryleaders.org, you can find his, uh, his presentation on emotions. Um, I will put that in the show notes so that people can can access that. Yeah, good. Thank you. That'd be great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so we've come to the end of our time together. And I'm going to pause for a second here, Jeff, because I've got a crick in my neck. And I turned my head and I'll have to filter this out. But also I've got this like, these muscles are going. Jeez. Oh, yeah. It's the, it happens once in a while. It's the, um, the neck surgery stuff. Yeah. Ugh, okay. So, so according to uh, Louise Hay. Yes. The neck, the neck. Refusing to see other sides of a question. Stubbornness and inflexibility, which is not you at all. Oh, well, so, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, Jeff, this has just been a pleasure. Um, is it, Thank you. 
thank you for taking the time to sit down and to share your wisdom and share your story. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share for the for the good of the audience before we before we call it a day? Chris, probably the biggest joy that I have today as a coach is to seeing the people who I've worked with flower into uh, the kinds of people who are going to make an even bigger difference in the world. And you are certainly one of those people. I admire the work that you're doing. I admire the way that you've uh, overcome your old scripts and written new ones. And I've admired the technological uh, expertise that you bring to, to the world. Uh, your, your Turning Points community is one of the most intriguing things I think that I've ever seen. Mm. And, and I just want to thank you for, for your kindness and your generosity and inviting me to be part of this. Thank you, Jeff, for those. Yeah, I received that and, and I appreciate those generous comments. What is the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about you and your work? My website uh, uh, is uh, something I guess you can put into the, the show notes. Absolutely. And uh, feel free to email me at gdavis at conversationswork.com. Yeah. Thank you so much again, Jeff. And, and listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Um, really want to invite you to consider all of, all of what Jeff has shared. He's just a wealth of wisdom. And Jeff, it's my privilege to... Um, to know you, to I love you, and I thank you for spending this time with me and, and all the generosity that you've given me over the years. So God bless and thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to take a moment to like, share, and comment on today's episode. If you're not already a member of the Turning Points Leadership Community, you can accelerate your development as a leader by joining today. You'll find the link to the community in the show notes. If you'd like to be a guest on Chris's show, send an email to turningpointsguest at liveworksatisfied.com. See you next time for more Turning Points in Leadership.